God helps those who help themselves, and cleanliness is next to godliness. Guys, I wonder how many people actually really think that these things are in Scripture. I had a friend's dad once uh, adamantly tell me that God helps those who helps who help themselves was in the Bible, like beyond the shadow of a doubt. But uh, I want to I want us to talk about that today. Christian cliches. I think they both come from God helps those who are into cleanliness. <laughs> These are all found in Second Opinions. Yeah, <laughs> the book the book of Second Ezelonians. But you know, cliches are, um, or you know, we can call them cliches. We can call them Christianese. We can call them uh, coined adages within Christianity that carry with them some dangers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why important, it's important that we talk about this. You know, we often say ideas have consequences, and it, it, it's true, they do. And sometimes those little maxims, if you would, can really shape someone's thinking. You know, little things. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me that in heaven, uh, God was going to make you pick up every grain of salt you've ever dropped on the ground with your eyelashes. <laughs> Haven't you read that first? <laughs> and I believed it. No, wow. you did and this not. Was, this was right after I was taking the salt shaker outside. You know, we were having this is like why you're a perfectionist. Uh, maybe that's what it, it is. Out. <laughs> and I, I, I just got done, like, you know, making it snow with the salt shaker outside, and then my mom tells me that. I'm like, ah! This explains so much. See, that's it. That, <laughs> lie on this couch and talk about it some more. Oh, I need help. <laughs> help me, please. I shake every time I see salt. Ah, I shake every time I see salt. It's true. Those things can really shape your thinking, impact you, even your relationship with the Lord. So today we want to talk about some of those, and I know Ray Comfort is... Chomping at the bit is the typical saying. The real one I've heard is really champing at the bit, but we're not going to argue about that today. Ray Comfort, cliches. What's the difference between a platitude and a cliche, Mr. Wordsmith? Do you know? Ooh. Well, platitudes are, more, platitudes are more like trite kind of sayings. Uh, I mean, th- there's crossover between a, that and a cliche. Have but, you got an example of a platitude? Um. A platitude. Well, you take a platitude. Isn't it a mammal? It's an egg-laying egg mammal. <laughs> a platypus. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. What would an be apple a, a day keeps the doctor away would be a platitude. Yeah, well, you start throwing them at them, they won't come. <laughs> <laughs> but, Ray, let, let's get into that. What are what are some of the Christianese? Christianese. Yeah, Christianese well, let me talk about one that I hear all the time that's a, a sort of a, a platitude where non-Christians are confronted with sin and they'll say, nobody's perfect. Mm, right. That's right. one that's embraced. And yeah. I, I don't know what it's meant to mean because Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So they, uh, they put their foot in their mouth when they say that. But that's one that's very common. Washed in the blood is a, a, a one that Christians should keep within the yeah. church because non-Christians are going to think we're a cult if we talk about being washed. In Have the you blood. been washed in the blood of the Lamb, brother? Yeah, it's a beautiful hymn. <laughs> brother. 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 you got to throw brother in there for real <laughs> effect. You make it really weird. Brother burn or burn, yeah. fly or fry. Yeah. You, you, make, you make a point, though, because there's some cliches that are that shouldn't be in our vocabulary, that are misunderstood, almost scripture being misquoted, which you, yeah. you mentioned some of them. God helps those who help themselves. But then Ray's bringing up Christianese, which is phrases that are wonderful and true when in the context of having a conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a cliche. Um, 
but often unhelpful in the presence of new believers or non-believers. And you basically just called called my church out because the other day, I think I was telling you guys, we had a daughter. When you point at someone on a you. podcast, when you <laughs> point at someone on a podcast, it's meaningless. He's pointing <laughs> to easy. You, they're like, who's the you? Ray Comfort. Um, we, had a, we had somebody bring her atheist dad to church and at some point someone said washed by the blood yeah. and he looked to his daughter and was like ain't nobody washing me with the blood <laughs> like he had no <laughs> idea what was meant by that phrase you know yeah. and so there's certain phrases that we just need to stop and define them i consistently stop and define repentance because even yeah. that word is a christianese word like you're not going to hear that outside of christian circles and if you say without definition no one i know. think it's a word that shouldn't be avoided but Agreed. should be explained 100 percent. yeah yeah well, where does something like that we hear from non-believers all the time judge not lest he be judged mm. where does that fall into play is that just something that's reverberated out in the world and they think like you're coming to harsh down upon them so they say that with no idea of what it means and it's self-refuting oftentimes yeah, Mark, that, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about in terms of, of repercussions and how it affects people's thinking, right? Uh, a, a total twisting of, of what is meant by not judging uh, in terms of trying to project what is in somebody's heart in terms of motives and intentions. Right. That I don't know, right? For example, you might, let's say, share uh, an article you wrote with me or maybe uh, a poem or what have you. And I look at you and I go, the reason you shared that with me is because you want to brag, you want to boast, you want to show you're better than me, you want to show you're intelligent. I don't know that, right? I don't know your motives. But if somebody is fornicating and they admit they're fornicating and it's clear they're fornicating and I look at them and I say, hey, you're a fornicator. You're judging me, brother. <laughs> right? That, yeah, well, yeah, I am judging you. And as Jesus said, Judge with righteous judgment. Right. As Paul says in Corinthians, do you not judge those who are in the church, right? Yep. It's, it's, yeah, it's making a, a judgment on something that I know is objectively true, and we're supposed to do that, yeah. right? The, the point of the verse is meant to uh, keep us away from hypocrisy. If I'm fornicating and I come down hard on my neighbor for fornicating, that's that's what the scriptures warn against, that kind of judgment that's, that's hypocritical. But the kind of judgment that's good is the kind of judgment that you that's a warning, right? Like if I if I look out and I see that your kid's running into the street while there's a car coming at 45 miles an hour, um, I'm going to yell, stop. I'm making a judgment that he is in route for danger, for hurt and for pain, and that judgment that I'm making is for his good. And so when we point to the scriptures, when we use the law, um, that is a type of judgment that's loving and good and, and is warning and wooing people back towards God. I like what Paul Washer says concerning this when somebody says, judge not lest you be judged. He says, well, twist not scripture lest you be like Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that one. Yeah, so, okay, let, let's explore another one. How about let go and let God? Yeah. What does that actually mean? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. When I hear it said by people, I think it's sort of an indication to kind of not really worry about anything. and Don't worry, and, be happy. Yeah, let God just take care of it, you know? But, but I think the danger in that one is abdicating our call to uh, be engaged, right? To discipline ourselves for godliness, to, uh, like Scripture says, um, you, you know, to... to 
engage in good works, to right. meet urgent needs, to, you know, to be involved to, to the point of like, you know, it says in Hebrews, you have not resisted to bloodshed in your struggle against sin. The proactive Christian life where we're, we're laboring in the power of the Spirit and, and not us, but, but God who, who's working through us, you know, but yet being faithful and obedient to the Lord. Jerry Bridges gives a great illustration on this. He talks about an airplane with two wings. And he says, imagine you're flying 30,000 feet in the air. And the pilot says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to have to ditch one of our wings. Mm-hmm. Which one would you like us to ditch, the right one or the left one? Like it matters, right? right? You get rid of one wing, the plane is going down. doesn't matter which one it is. And so his whole point is you need both discipline and dependency. Yeah, that's good. You need to depend on the Lord for everything. You can't do anything without him, but you also need to be disciplined like Scripture calls us to be. Yeah, so they're, they're friends, yeah. if you would, right? It's right. Like God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. How do you reconcile the two? I don't need to reconcile friends. Yeah. You know, they're friends and they can work hand in hand. Right. So I think let go and let God can be abused and contained out of context, but in, in one sense, it does make sense. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. That could be let go and just trust God in the situation yeah. you're in. So um, sometimes they become platitudes because they're just blurted out without any, any thought or any theological basis. Right. And of course, just for understanding, we're not talking about salvific issues. Salvation right. is completely independent of anything we could ever do. We're talking about living out the Christian life right. and um, not working for your salvation, but working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right. Yeah, I think let go and let God is um, misused when it's an excuse to not be diligent, mm-hmm. not listen to wise counsel, to not be a good steward over a particular situation. If it's like, I don't want to listen to wise counsel, I don't want to do what should be done, I'm just going to let go and let God. Uh, that's a form of slothfulness, which we're going to talk about in another podcast. Um, but but uh, on the other hand, if you are anxious over a potential outcome after you've done your due diligence, after you've been a good steward, after you've heard wise counsel and you're anxious over an outcome, that's a space where anxiety is is in some ways sometimes a desire for control over the future. And that's a space which we can hand over to the Lord because he is sovereign over our future. He is sovereign over the outcome of our wise decisions. Isn't that what inspired the Disney song? Let it go. <laughs> Completely. Let it go. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. You guys love it when I sing. Yeah. Great really comfort. Uh, one that I, I don't know if this is a maxim cliche or what, when people say God told me, that really bugs me because God's told me never to say that. It's just yeah. so wrong and unbiblical. Next time but, uh, someone says that, open up your Bible and say, where Where did he tell you? Yeah, it's, it's usually things like God gave me this poem and they slide it across and you read it and think God can't write poetry. <laughs> God gave me this song. It's awful. Please don't do that. And I remember a, a lady used to say, God told me this, God told me that. And I uh, asked her about it once because she said, I was just coming out of my house and God said, don't you leave until you wash your curtains. And I got her, I said, man, did God really say that to you? And she said, no, I just felt that the Lord would have me wash the curtains. I said, why don't you say that? Because it makes you seem a bit strange if you're hearing voices telling you to wash your curtains. Right. That's kind of meaningless. So, uh, yeah, that's so abused so often. Or how about God will never give you more than you can handle? Mm-hmm. That is not true. God right. desires to take you to your end so that you can depend on never him, thought of that. lean on him, mm. on his power mm. over yours. Yeah, Mark, back to the one Ray had just mentioned. Who was it that said that? If you, if you want to hear God speak...
We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. It was uh, Justin Peters. If you want to hear God's voice, uh, read his word. If you want to hear God's word, if you want to hear God's voice audibly, well, then read his word out loud. <laughs> right? So if somebody comes up and says, hey, I, God told me to tell you this. Well, God's got my number as well, and I have a direct line, and it's right there inside the word of God. It's so rooted in pride when someone says that. God told me to do this. In other words, I cannot counsel that person not to do it because I'm running heads with God. Hmm. And because God's told you, so who am I to give any advice or instruction on what you're going to do. God told me to marry that lady over there. And what does your wife think of that? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you think of some of the things that people say God told them to do. To me, the most humorous, not humorous really, but kind of the, the saddest thing is when someone comes up and they're asking you for counsel and then they're telling you what God told them to do. And it's like, you know, well, what do you say to that? Or you always say that, right? What do you say? Well, God told me, um, okay. Well, what do I? How, how can I even reply to that? Right. Let's hypothetically say that that's true. God audibly told you. You know, it's uh, it's really yeah. It, it it's something that has become, I think, a big problem for sure today in Christianity. And yeah, I think too, Oscar. Another point to make is how things can be twisted. Like maybe someone who would say God will never give you you know more right. than you can handle. Maybe they're thinking of the of the passage in Corinthians. It says, you know, no temptations come upon you except what's common to man. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape so you can endure it, right? Could you yeah, and that last, last part. <laughs> that last part is what's missed. Yeah. Which he will provide a way. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so those are, uh, man, those are so important to step back and just say, hey, where does this line up with Scripture? Yeah. That is our final authority. Now, I'm, I'm thrown into um, confusion often when I read comments on the YouTube channel where some Christian will say, Jesus loves you, have a great day. And I'm thinking, who are they talking to? If they're talking to Christians, fine. If they're talking to non-Christians, give me a biblical basis for saying to a non-Christian, Jesus loves you, because that's not biblical. You can't find it in Scripture. Every time the love of Christ is related in Scripture, it co- is correlated to the cross. Mm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he sent us, loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God commanded his love towards us and while yet sin as Christ died for us. And Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we want to show people the love of Christ, what we must do is preach the cross. Mm. And preaching the cross makes no sense if we don't open up the commandments to show what sin is, that we deserve hell, and yet God gave us heaven. Mm. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That magnifies the love of God. Mm. And so 
I, I feel impatient when I hear people just yell out to non-Christians, Jesus loves you, and it goes off their back like a water off a duck's back. Yeah. And usually what they it. hear, when they hear that, right, it's, well, then God loves me exactly the way I am, and right. I don't need to change. There's a really good book by D.A. Carson called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. It's relatively short, and I highly recommend it on that subject. Um, here's one that gets under my skin that I hear more often than not by pastors. Under your skin? Under my skin. What a cliche. Oh, goodness my me. goodness. It's so superficial. So sorry. <laughs> but I hear it more often by pastors, uh, which is the Saul to Paul. Saul did, God did not change Saul's name to Paul, and yet so often I hear pastors talk that way. I don't know where that started. Where did For we Saul's get the, name changed to Paul? Yeah. He, his name was never changed. To be clear, after the road to Damascus, he's called mm. Saul 11 more times. And we know that Saul was his Roman name and Paul was his Israel name. Oh, there you go. But yet people talk about it all the time as though his name was changed. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. How dare you? I'm sorry, I totally repent. <laughs> dare you, Ray Comfort. The daring of you. Yeah. Ray, let's camp on that one a little bit because this, this is really important. And, and I think people want to understand a little more where you're coming from on this. Jesus loves you or God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's an extremely popular saying that we hear echoed a lot today. And it's, it's one of those things where I think people don't think about it because it's, it's just done so often, they hear it so often. So dive a little deeper into the dangers of that um, because the wonderful plan aspect, like, you know, we talked about the love of God, but the wonderful plan aspect, I know we've touched on it before, but I think it, it, it really deserves a little more exploration. What's your problem with that? God has a wonderful plan. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> it's, it's not biblical. Um, Prove it. Yeah, uh, that's a good, good way to put it, easy. <laughs> Prove it, goodness me. Um, Paul, his wonderful plan he experienced was beating, stoning, shipwrecks, imprisonment, and martyrdom. And the wonderful plan that God had for Jesus was to suffer and die on the cross. That's a different wonderful plan. The thief on the cross had his legs broken to begin the wonderful plan. Stephen was stoned. James had his head cut off. Disciples are crucified right down through history. The, um, the church, the foundation of the church is soaked in blood. And so if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. If you're a Christian, you're going to suffer tribulation. God's going to chasten you. The world's going to hate you. The devil's going to get on you. Flesh is going to pull at you. I love Pilgrim's Progress where Christian's walking through some woods and suddenly a man jumps out from behind a tree and grabs his skin. Mm -hmm. And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Adam. And that's what we're going to have for the whole of our Christian life, a battle with the world, the flesh, the devil. Before I was a Christian, I was very happy. When I became a Christian, I became very unhappy because I went straight into what's called a wilderness experience. Any you guys been through a wilderness experience? Oh, yeah. Oh, where yeah. the Spirit leads you into a desert where you're tempted by the devil. And I'd never known depression like it. Like It started about two weeks after I was a Christian. I came through like, woohoo, this is wonderful being a Christian. And every time I prayed, God came down to answer my prayers, put a bottle in my mouth when I cried, patted me on the back, rubbed my shoulders, (laughs) and then suddenly he pulled back and let all hell let loose at me, if I may say that. That's probably a cliche, Mm. platitude or whatever. But it broke me. It it just shook me to the core. And and the Bible says we're established and and strengthened and settled when God allows us to come under his chastening hand. 
That's what a Christian is, someone who goes through that. And if you tell someone, God has a wonderful plan for your life, ask anyone what the word wonderful means. It means a life of um, problem-free and mm. healthy and rich and happy. Well, that's mm. not the Christian life if you look at Scripture. And so what we've got to do is be honest with non-Christians and not only that, realize the danger of a false conversion. There's a dearth of understanding about false conversion within the body of Christ. Talk to most Christians. Do you know what a false conversion is? No. Ever read the parable of the sower? Mm. The very basis of all the parables, the stony ground hearer, thorny ground hearer, wayside hearer, and the good soil hearer. So we want to be honest with unsaved people. Tell them, if you come to Christ, God will grant you everlasting life, but you've got to die to yourself. Yeah. You've got to die to the world. Yeah, I think all of the most dangerous lies um, in life in general, but especially as it pertains to God, has an element of truth to them. Uh, and that goes right into Genesis when the serpent goes to Eve. He repeats what God says, but then twists or adds to it, right? He said, do not eat, and then he adds or touch. And so there's an element of truth to the lie that the serpent gave to Eve. And that's, that's true also when it comes to the love of God because there is no doubt that God is the ultimate alpha and omega source of love. The truest sense of love uh, comes from God. It is a part of his intrinsic being. He is the God of love. Um, that's true. But he is also, and I think the challenge in our day is that we overemphasize the culture wants to overfocus on God being a loving God. But he's also a just God. He's also a jealous God. He's also a God who judges. Hmm. He is a God who has wrath, right? And so um, does he uh, love providentially love his creation? Yeah, yeah, he does. But he also uh, stands over it in judgment when it falls short of his glory and goodness. Right. So I think a balanced understanding of the attributes of God is what's missing. Because is God love? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he's also these other things. Yeah, we like to highlight love, right? First John 4, 6, God is love. And then that somehow negates anything and everything else. Right. Don't talk to me about uh, his aseity, that he is self-reliant, doesn't need anybody else. No, because God needs me. And when yeah. I came well, especially don't, don't bring up judgment. Like, the right. idea of God is judged, it's like, oh, you lost me there. Right. Oscar, yes. I got a question for you. Why is your chair squeaking so much? <laughs> Every time you move, chair. it squeaks. You know why? Because Mark Spence swapped chairs with it. Just is that what happened? <laughs> he says, this chair is squeaking, so uh, he swapped it with you. So every time it squeaks, it makes not, me laugh, no. which is funny. You know, um, I, I want to touch on something tied in with what Ray talked about, true and false conversion. Maybe some listening to that are bewildered by that, that term. Uh, and I think this is a, an important one to talk about related to that. You know, we often hear... The, the term thrown around carnal Christian, mm. carnal Christian. And I think it's important to talk about that one because I think the problem with that is it's talked about like it's some legitimate official category. Like backslidden oh, Christian. Right, yeah. like it's an official acceptable, acceptable category versus can a Christian be carnal at times? Of course a Christian can you know, demonstrate. Paul talked about that in Corinthians. There could be a demonstration of carnality at you know, different times, but it's made out to be like, oh, you know, it's like they're on fire Christians or they are really uh, passionate Christians or whatever. Oh, they're carnal Christians. Hey, how you know? I'm just one of the carnal guys, you know? Like it's, <laughs> so I think that's, that's so key to, to recognize that God 
that's not an acceptable category. Yeah. And as someone who truly knows the Lord and is born again cannot live their entire life in rebellion against God as a carnal could unquote, you Christian. could you define what that means by carnal Christian in case somebody has not heard that before yeah. or maybe are like am I would well, I categorize as a carnal Christian what is what yeah I mean carnality that? is is synonymous with fleshly you know so somebody who who is living a fleshly life I mean it's it's quite vast really how it's applied but it's Christianese to say fleshly can you open it a yeah so <laughs> the flesh <laughs> open, versus open it up the spirit <laughs> It's, I mean, if you really want to boil it down as far as you can go, it's sinful, basically, mm-hmm. living in a sinful, worldly kind of defined I, world. Can I give an example here, perhaps? Yeah. You will, will often hear these carnal Christians say, can I still do this and be considered a Christian? Or how close to the world can I get and still be a Christian? Can right. I have a foot in the world and a foot inside Christianity? Yeah. And this is, this is a wrong mindset, right? And I, I like... Uh, one author worded it, you need to be asking the question, does it help me run? Yeah. Because if it doesn't help you run, you need to discard it. You know, John Wesley's mom said, I don't care how godly it is in and of itself. If it doesn't push you to Christ, well, then discard it. Mm-hmm. And we are commanded to lay aside every weight, every <clears throat> snare that would so easily ensnare us. We need to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And if you don't have your eyes fixed upon Jesus, if you're not found meditating on God's word day and night, well, then you will be tossed to and fro. When a trial comes your way, you're going to be questioning God, raising your fist at God Almighty, wondering what's happening. Did I do something wrong? Yeah. So we need to stop. We need to start asking the right questions and start going away from these things that are uh, significant. Speaking of asking the right questions, is it legitimate for a Christian to get angry at God? No. <laughs> How do you define anger? Yeah, cause because it's okay to be, be angry and do not sin. Yes, yeah. there is a, a space for lament. I mean, you read the Psalms and there are, there are psalmists crying out, where are you, O Lord? Didn't you say, O God, where, how, how could this happen, O Lord? And so- Come let us reason together though, right? So there's nothing wrong with reasoning, yeah. but questioning God, putting him on the docks and accusing him of wrong yeah. would be sin. Yeah, having judgment over God is not- yeah. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say lament is anger, but there is a sense of- frustration, uncertainty that is not sinful that is found in the scriptures. Right. But I wouldn't categorize that as anger. I'm gonna give anger, God a piece of my mind. Right, oh, anger whoa. is like judgment over another person. Like you've you've oh. done something and you owe me that. Well, what about this? I've um, heard, easy, I know you're busting at the bit to get into this. I've heard it. many messages on you uh, on this subject. You know, well, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I'm just gonna be honest. Honestly, God, this is what I think of you right now. Yeah, that, I mean, Careful. It's crazy. Like the emotion that wells up in me, even hearing that, it, it, it like, it's a mixture of anger, righteous indignation, and, <clears throat> and, of, um, and fear and trembling. And I, I'm saying this too with, with compassion because I know people go through some very difficult things. And again, like Oscar said, when you read the Psalms, there, there's some in, intensity there. But if a person ever responds to God with that attitude of, you know, or I hear people say, yeah, me and God are going to have a little conversation. <laughs> oh, no. man. Like, do you understand who you're talking to? I'm just going to wrestle with them the way Joseph did. Yeah. It, it's it, 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 it's Joseph, just... Jacob. Jacob. Good one. To me, it is... Um, it's kind of 
sort of a sign of the times in that it, it, it's a byproduct of the age that yeah. we live in. God's where people, my buddy. Yeah, where people are disconnected mm. from who God really is and who we are. Uh, you know, can someone become misguided? Can someone, but that's to me, the bottom line is it's, it's a sinful, it, it's a very sinful, evil and wicked thing. So what would to, you say to someone that had that attitude, just never? I did have a friend write to me. He's in terrible health problems. He's paralyzed from the neck down. He's a Christian, loves the Lord. And he says, I'm getting really angry at God. I had to write back and say, never, ever say that. I yeah, says, yeah. I've got no way that I can empathize with what you have to go through, but never say that to the Lord. Yeah, it's misguided, you know, yeah. and I think, I think what we need to do with people like that is gently instruct them, you know, and gently but firmly make it clear that this is God Almighty. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you don't, you don't, have that attitude with the Lord. You need to acknowledge that. Sure, questions, Lord, why, and 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 heartbreak, and but tears. Yeah, yeah. Lament is a form of worship, um, but the kind of anger that that you're talking about, or quoting other people talking about, is uh, is this is this way of of gaining authority over something which we have no authority over yeah. God. And so I, I love what you just said is to gently point them. Because I think oftentimes when people are in seasons of pain and suffering, um, they don't have a category for it. And the Psalms of Lament provide a worshipful category for those, for those seasons of life that doesn't bring you to a place of sin. I think um, a non-Christian can be excused for saying that because his understanding is dark and he's ignorant of God, but a, a child of God should be very careful. Yeah. Especially if you've been a Christian for any amount of time. Right? Yeah. I mean, we have Paul correcting the church at Corinth. You're, you're still drinking milk. Like, well, what is going on? You should be eating meat by this time. There has to come a place instead of a Christian's walk. We're, we're changed from glory to glory. We learn precept upon precept. We are continually being conformed into the image of Christ. And when you come across somebody who's been walking with God for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still struggling with rudimentary things, you begin to think, well, why is your growth so stunted? Yeah. You know, I say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And all you always acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You're yeah, listen, I don't want to hear that. What, what? Mm-hmm. Listen, it's still true. It was true the day you were born again when you were so excited about that text. Mm. And it's true today. How did you graduate and get a diploma in the realm of not trusting the Lord and now discarding that scripture? All of scripture is given to us. And it's profitable for reproof and correction. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. You know, I, I want to start drawing to a close here, but I, I do want to wrap up what we were talking about regarding the whole carnal Christian thing and tied in with true and false conversion. I think really what we're getting at with that is it says in First John, if the seed of God abides in you, you cannot sin. And, and the meaning of that is practice sin, yeah. like habitually live in sin without you know, coming to repentance. And again, Scripture's clear on that. It also says in First John, which is a great book actually to read in terms of testing where you truly are at with the Lord. Uh, it says, you know, that if God is light in Him, there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. Mm-hmm. It also says, by this we know we've come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. So one who says, I've come to know Him, but doesn't keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. Uh, Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, but he'll say, right, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so I think it's important to say that, um, yes, is it possible for a Christian to sin? Of course it is. I mean, even Peter, 
right? Peter was living in hypocrisy when it came to the most important thing, and that's the gospel. And in Galatians 2, Paul had to rebuke him to his face. But Peter obviously repented of that. And our point is that, yes, a Christian can have seasons of, of straying, of sin, of folly, but if they truly belong to God, first of all, they're never gonna be comfortable in that state. Mm-hmm. It, it's unlikely they'll ever justify that state. And if they truly belong to the Lord, they're going to come to repentance and, and turn away from that and have a life that shows a consistency in godliness. Is that accurate, Ray? Yeah, sounds wonderful. Yeah. Can I touch on another couple of little things that's sure. good to explain non Christian? Oh, yeah. I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks for most of the world is uh, misunderstanding the word belief. Mm-hmm. They think, I believe in God, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. And we have to uh, explain the difference between belief or faith and trust. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference. Because even Satan believes in God. Yeah. Demons, the demons believe, believe yeah. tremble, and you can believe in a parachute. Even if you're not trusting in it, you're going to see it's a big mistake. So <clears throat> these are things along with repentance that we should expound when we share to, uh, witnessing to the ungodly. Even the word grace. You know, you, you, I often quote, by grace you're saved through faith. Well, grace, what does that mean? Is that a name of a famous movie star in Hollywood? Grace Kelly, is it a, a graceful swan? What does it mean? And, it, and so it's good to explain that, that it's uh, God's unmerited favor and his help uh, in regards to... You know, Major Ian Thomas, he said, every Christian alongside of whatever version that they use for the Bible should have an amplified version right next to it. Because sometimes it, it opens it up. Yeah. You know, we've talked about John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, and in the Amplified, it says whoever places their trust in, clings to, and relies upon him. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. It just opens it up yeah. even more. I love the Amplified Bible, and as you know, I always read it a little louder because it's the Amplified, <laughs> <it's> Amplified. <laughs> But uh, I've actually read through the whole Amplified Bible. It took me 15 years. Really? Did no, you? no, it did not. We did it in a year. I would, on top Jesus of... Jesus wept his 200 verses. <laughs> I would say on top of, on top of believe uh, is Jesus died for you. Because often people talk about Jesus' death as like the perfect example of love and sacrifice. Right. And they miss uh, the mark by not recognizing that his death was a substitute, mm-hmm. was an atoning act a sacrifice, he was there on your behalf. It is not just an example. And if you think of it as just an example, you are utterly missing the gospel. You always so it's an atoning sacrifice. Yeah. Just bearing my cross, brother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> brother. Brother. Wow, guys, there's brother so much, you know, there really is so much to be covered on this. And I'm glad we hit these ones. I think we hit a lot of the big ones. And I hope that we've been able to bring some clarity and understanding. Any more? Yeah, Jesus saves. There's another thing that Christians used to say a lot. I don't know if it's so much now, but during the Jesus Revolution in the 70s, uh, there were signs everywhere, Jesus saves, and people would ask, well, what bank? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a meaningless statement if you don't explain it. And I've heard people say, saves from what? And you say, from death and from hell and from God's justice. I got one. Um, I'll pray for you. Let me explain when that one is misused. Uh, I think in two ways. When you say it and don't do it, um, that makes it a horrible cliche. But also there's been times 
you know, you guys know when my, when just as one example, when my sister passed away and, uh, and anybody who's ever experiencing just a really tough season and you, you kind of bare your soul to another Christian, sometimes people just don't know how to come alongside you sometimes, with comforting words. Sometimes it's really <laughs> difficult. Yeah. And, uh, and so they'll, you'll bear your soul to them and they'll be like, Hmm, I'll pray for you. It's mm. like, That's all you got. Like, can you just, I'm so sorry for your lot. Like, Whatever the case, you know, yeah. we almost hide behind that. And the worst is when we actually don't do it. Yeah. You know, when someone asks me to pray for them, I do it immediately in case I forget. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Uh, you're so right, Oscar. It, it, I think it's, it's, I don't know what else to say. And let me just throw this at you. And it sounds like the nice and right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But I think on that note, we as Christians need to learn how to engage on those levels. Yeah, because, bear one of those burdens. Yeah, because the, it's it's so common that we're gonna interact with other believers that are going through very difficult and painful things. And there are ways that we can grow in that, right? Um, uh, scripture talks about learning, learning how to answer, studying how to answer, that the wise man does that. And I think that we should uh, equip ourselves to minister to each other's believers. Boy, you know, that'd be great to put a little booklet on grief and not only how to handle it, but how to communicate with someone who's in grieving because seriously, I'm I'm in a loss often. And I often call widows when I hear it and and see how they're doing. And it's difficult to know what to say because people are hurting so much. Yeah, And it's okay if you don't know. I mean, sometimes the most comforting thing to hear is something ineffective. And I have no idea how you feel or what you're going through. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's yeah. that's comforting in and of itself sometimes. I'm here for you, you know, and sometimes too, we'll say something like, if there's anything you need, let me know. And it's appropriate to say that. I'm not saying it's not, but I think sometimes it's good to just do. Yeah. Like show up and bring them food. Take them out, you know. Why don't we hold on to this for another podcast because I think it's, it's something really worth looking at good. because all we're right. all going to go through it and all going to meet people going through it and it'd be great to know what to say. That's a good That's point, good. Ray. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you need anything, Ray, let me know. Oh, good grief. All right. Well, friends, <laughs> thank you for joining us again. Uh, we're edified. We're encouraged. We hope you have been. And again, we exist to inspire and equip you in fulfilling the Great Commission. So make sure to check out livingwaters.com. We have so many resources there, not just resources you can purchase, but free resources uh, that can inspire you uh, to keep going on in the Lord. We'll see you next time here on the Living Waters Podcast. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.